You're listening to the best of The Michelle Miao Show, your A through Z covering the LGBT, LMNOP, and everyone in between show. And now your host, Michelle Miao. It's Michelle Miao. You're listening to The Best Of Show. We're replaying some of my favorite interviews we've done this year. Welcome. Thank you so much for joining us here on this incredible day. I'm Michelle Miao, your host. Recent polls regarding marriage equality and LGBTQ rights show that more Americans are supportive today than ever in American history when it comes to the LGBTQ community. One can argue that television might have something to do with it. I mean, if you even take the case of uh, Proposition 8 here in California, the ban on same-sex marriage, someone like a Dustin Lance Black or a Rob Reiner might argue with you that they had a lot to do with that, which those two come from the very powerful Hollywood, as uh, you know, most of us know them as directors and screenwriters. Our next guest is David Bender. He's working on a project, a new documentary called Playing Gay, in which we'll talk about how TV might have influenced Influence how people think uh, about uh, what they think of LGBTQ people and their support of it. David, welcome to the program. Michelle, it's good to be here, and I would include radio influencing people as well. So thank you for what you do. Ah, thank you so much. For some reason, when I think about talk radio, um, you know, who's always in the news these days? It's those uh, Christian right-wing radio guys who continuously make headlines by saying such horrible things about queer people. <laughs> well, I came, I came out of Air America, and although Air America did not last, it was, like so many things, a great opportunity to, to find uh, new talent and to provide paths for people who otherwise wouldn't have had an opportunity. And one of those people is someone I, I, I'm proud to call a friend and, and who's involved in, in my film Playing Gay, and that's Rachel Maddow, mm-hmm. uh, who is the exact opposite of those crazy right-wing people right, right. <laughs> on, it... on radio and television. So we're, we're, we're very lucky to have some folks who have come out of uh, this medium, and, and and you're absolutely right. Television has played a huge part in how we see ourselves in the LGBT community. I'm uh, I'm going to venture a, a, a very safe guess that I'm older than you, because <laughs> I can remember uh, when we were invisible on television. The right. only images you could see in the 50s and 60s, actually, really in the 60s. If there was an LGBT character, and of course those names didn't exist, if there was a homosexual character, he or she was either an axe murderer or a tragic figure who had no choice but to take their life by the end of the show. That was the, that was the future, uh, uh, according to writers, and, and in fact it reflected society's view. Mm-hmm. Uh, the the thing about television is that it it is like a house of mirrors. It reflects and affects the object that it's looking at. And it wasn't until the 1970s that we started to have an effect and a reflection that was remotely positive. And and that's really the the core of playing gay. And and uh, for people who want to know about it, playinggay.com. We're talking about this this film that I've been developing now for almost 20 years, first as a book, now as a documentary, to tell this story of how how that transformation took place really with some very brave people, and one of whom happened to have been a young actor named Rob Reiner, who you just mentioned, 
who is part of a show called All in the Family. And that show, uh, in its first season, 1971, had the first positive gay character ever on television, an episode written by the creator, Norman Lear. And uh, Rob Reiner was very much a part of that storyline. He challenged Archie about his homophobia, and it, it told a story that really resonated because no one, no one had ever done that before. And, and I, I, I commend you absolutely for doing a project like this, and I can't wait for the documentary um, because, you know, Hollywood, uh, television, uh, movies, films, all of it, as you were talking about, it's like this reflection of us. Uh, but the, it's also very complex. I mean, you know, Hollywood, even today in 2015, we're still looking at things like, uh, you know, gender pay gaps. Uh, we're still talking about, you know, a lot of actors and actresses who are closeted and don't want to come out in fear that it would kill their careers. Uh, but, you know, over time, and I wanted, I wanted to ask you about this, you know, about how reality TV might have influenced uh, also how, you know, what, what people think of LGBTQ people, um, that that might have been the catalyst for change in something like television. What are your thoughts? Um, you're, you're, again, spot on. Each, each iteration of this journey that we're on, all of us are on, including now where we're on with the transgender community, which is getting so much visibility, uh, in, in, even in this last few years, shows like Transparent, Orange is the New Black, and obviously uh, Caitlyn Jenner, are, are a, a, a brand new phenomenon. Could not have happened five years ago, did not happen five years ago. But with respect to reality television, uh, there's something that, again, I remember in pun intended, real time, it was the real world. It was the third episode of the real world in right there in San Francisco. Uh, Pedro Zamora, uh, a 20-year-old uh, HIV-positive man whose journey was documented, uh, became a hero to millions and millions of people for his courage. Uh, and and uh, I, I can remember so well watching that and thinking, this is changing hearts and minds. Uh, it is putting a, a human face on something that, that people were terrified of throughout the entire preceding decade. In fact, the President of the United States refused to even address it for the longest time. Uh, it, it was reality television that helped change that. So you're, you're, you're spot on. It, this is a part of what playing gay uh, will be about, and, and we're by the way, just to be clear, this is a work in progress. Mm-hmm. The story is evolving because it is not settled. I'm I'm still shooting this film, uh, doing interviews. I've interviewed uh, Norman Lear. I've interviewed Michael Douglas. Uh, interviewed Wilson Cruz for my so-called life. Uh, Sheila Kuehl, a, a hero of mine, in fact, a mentor of mine, who uh, was a closeted actress back in the 60s and uh pretty much lost her career because they d- discovered she was gay. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and it, that was, it, it, actually, the word was she was too butch. She just looked too butch. So they, they decided, no, nope, we can't give her a series of her own. She was very popular. Uh, and that story is in, in Playing Gay. And we're, we're asking people, actually, to go to playinggay.com and help us. We've got a Kickstarter campaign, and we can we, we have a lot of support, but we can use everyone to sign on because this is our community telling our story 
uh, and preserving our history. Yeah, absolutely. And it's fascinating. This is such a fascinating topic. Michelle Miao on the phone with us is David Bender. We're talking about his documentary that he's working on, Playing Gay, um, in which, you know, we're talking about how television may have played a huge role in changing the hearts and minds of America over the past four decades when it comes to LGBTQ people. And by the way, uh, they have a Kickstarter up, in which we just mentioned. We'll also post that up on our website and social media. Make sure you guys support this awesome project. It's a it's a fascinating topic because, you know, it's still evolving. Like you were talking about, even though we have more out characters on television, it's becoming quote unquote popular, even trans, you know, people and their lives being told uh, today on, on television is becoming popular, but we still, we still have a problem. You know, it it's like we're, it feels like we're at, you know, crossroads or, or this cusp of something bigger that's going to happen. What are your feelings, David? Well, all change, and I've been through uh, movements uh, starting with the uh, civil rights and anti-war movements. I really am old. Uh, as Grover Cleveland and I used to talk about it all the time, but it's just it's it's hard to. Uh, and, it, and it's funny you can't even make Grover Cleveland jokes anymore because it's too old. <laughs> the, the, the the truth is that it, it, all change is uh, a series of. A step forward, uh, a, perhaps a half step back, several side paths. It, nothing is linear in in change in in our culture. So, I look at this, Michelle, as as a transformational moment with the Supreme Court decision. Certainly extraordinary, historic, uh, something I never expected to see in my lifetime. But at the same time, I realize that that's what happened when Congress passed the Voting Rights Act and the Civil Rights Act uh, in, in the 60s, which the Supreme Court is rolling back at the same time. So rights, one, have to be preserved, and they are not, it, it, it isn't locked in stone any more than women's rights. Uh, you talk about pay equity, I look at choice, mm-hmm. and I see now that polling numbers show that more and more people are not pro-choice, something that, that we thought was settled with Roe v. Wade. It, it, it is not settled. It's a continuum. And there's an ebb and flow in, in all of our history. And that's what playing gay is, is, I hope, if we achieve anything, is going to remind people, particularly younger folk, that everything you have came at a price and don't expect it to last unless you fight for it. I, I want to ask you about, you know, since we're talking about television and obviously news is still, uh, you know, heavily tuned in, um, you know, shows or content that people tune into for television and the way that they report on gay lives or LGBTQ lives today, you still have major networks who, you know, will report on trans issues and make it seem like it's like this is it's a science experiment or something like that. Um, do you think that that will ever change? I mean, given that some of these major news networks are also owned by huge conservative corporations. Of course, I, I think it will change generationally the way opposition to marriage equality changed. Uh, you see still a majority of Republicans, and I do. Uh, I will take issue with one thing you said about the polling data that shows uh, good things uh, now for LGBTQ people in, in the wake of the Supreme Court and where we are today. There's actually a, a poll out that just, just hit that shows there are still a lot of people, 
majority of people mm-hmm. who believe that if you have a religious objection to granting a marriage license, mer- uh, religious freedom should come before uh, civil liberties and marriage equality. That, that That's a shocking fact that shouldn't be shocking, really, but we have a majority of Americans, who certainly uh, the polls would indicate, who are still troubled by the notion, and it's a false premise, of course, uh, that you have to force someone to go against their religious objections. Uh, but, but that's couched that way. People still are saying, and that's how the conservatives play this, this is violating religious freedom. I, I would make that argument of saying, well, hey, there was a time when when uh, Jewish people, Catholic people, were told they weren't uh, uh, eligible for the same civil rights as uh, the uh, Christian Americans. Uh, we've, we've seen these things throughout our history, but it continues to be a card that the right wing plays. So to your question, do I think that the media is going to do this? Yeah, they will for a while, but as more and more older people who hold these uh, dinosaur views uh, leave us, uh, and I I don't wish anyone ill, but as they lose control of those levers of power, uh, a younger generation of, of people will have different values, and they'll be informed by, I hope, uh, a greater understanding of our community. Before we take a break, I do have one uh, question for you, and that is the you know, physical appearance um, that we see on television shows and also uh, newscasts these days. I mean, we're a heavily sexualized culture here in America. And, you know, in the LGBTQ community, we're, it's extremely diverse in size, in, you know, how we identify ourselves. Some of us are genderqueer. Um I think that it would be interesting to to see if that will also change in regular television programming instead of, you know, the very um, binary or, or linear uh, visual of a man and a woman. I, I hope it will. And, and I think that what we're seeing now, particularly with uh, the, the uh, transgender community being much more visible, in, in media and in, uh, on television, both in reality programming and, and in, uh, in, in fiction that is painting uh, real life, I think we're, we're seeing that phenomenon uh, playing out, that the things, images we never saw before. Uh, the new normal, as it were, and that, that, that's a line that's being used actually to describe uh, uh, Caitlyn Jenner's show, uh, is is constantly evolving. I think we will see many, many different types and physical types uh, represented, and, and that's that's devoutly to be wished. But yeah. The problem, of course, is that we're still in America. <laughs> right, right. I'm like, I don't know why someone asked me to be on television because I'm scared of presenting myself as my true self, you know, a butch lesbian woman and Asian. I mean, that's kind of unheard of in, here in America. <laughs> hey, hey, I, I, I remember, as I'm sure you do, Margaret Cho yeah. uh, starting out and breaking ground and, and having to, to fight a lot of preconceptions, and she was incredible, and remains so, 
so, so look, is it easy? No. Mm -hmm. uh, Rachel Maddow, when she started doing television, said, you know, I just got to tell you, I dress like a teenage boy. I always have. <laughs> right. and, 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 you know, it, perhaps she, she changes it a little bit for, for television, but she has she is who she is. Mm -hmm. And if you, if you are good at what you do, as you are, as Rachel is, then that, that's what people take note of. Right. It's what you bring to it. Uh, and uh, I, I'm a great believer in not judging books by covers. David, we're going to take a quick break, but will you stick with us? I want to I want to ask you a few more questions and also talk about some of those major television shows that probably did shape and influence the way America feels about the LGBTQ community. Don't go away. When we come back, we'll continue with David Bender. You are listening to a rebroadcast of an earlier version of the Michelle Meow Show. Thanks for listening to the Progressive Voices Network, streaming the best in progressive talk 24-7. Keep the progressive conversation going on by joining our community. Each week, we send out an email that covers important things taking place in the Progressive Voices Network and throughout the progressive world. Be the first to know of upcoming shows, schedule changes, exclusive programming, and more. Simply go to ProgressiveVoices.com and sign up for our mailing list. It's that easy. ProgressiveVoices.com. Thanks for listening, and thanks for joining the Progressive Voices community. This is a true story about two best friends who fell in love and moved across the country to the city by the bay. After many years of dating, Jen and Jacqueline are now planning their dream wedding. It's a big moment in everyone's life when you say I do, especially when you can make choices for your authentic life and your loved ones too. Congratulations, Jen and Jacqueline. Live your authentic life. A special message brought to you by Weatherford BMW. Babe, I think we're ready. We're really doing this. Yeah, I'm ready for our family. So where do we start? <laughs> Starting a family is a team effort, and when life needs a little encouragement, Pacific Fertility Center will be right by your side as a unified team of the best fertility specialists guided by the highest ethical standards Pacific Fertility Center provides patients with compassionate fertility care. Visit PacificFertilityCenter.com. You're listening to the Progressive Voices Channel on TuneIn. Please help us grow. Tell your friends to tune in to Progressive Voices. Find out more at ProgressiveVoices.com. And now, back to the Michelle Meow Show. Welcome back. Thanks so much for joining us. I'm Michelle Meow, your host. On the phone with us is the incredible David Bender, who's a former uh, radio talk show host. You might have heard him from the show Ring of Fire. He's also written a ton of books, a few books, I should say. And he's working on a new project, a new documentary called Playing Gay. And uh, I can't wait till it's finished. We're, it's still in the works. And we'll also mention that Kickstarter project to help us get there. Um, but David, before the break, we talked about, yes, the progress we've made in television as far as, um, you know, coming out and having LGBTQ characters and how Americans might today feel uh, regarding LGBTQ people. Let's talk about some of the most popular shows Shows that have affected or, or have shaped or influenced how people feel about LGBTQ people. I feel like Glee, you know, was kind of like this turning point, especially for LGBTQ youths, because it was catchy, it was great, it was fun, but also had some real authentic characters, authentic meaning, you know, LGBTQ characters. I couldn't agree with you more. I am a huge fan of Glee. Uh, 
glee in, in the work in progress that we have in Playing Gay. And, and again, people can go to playinggay.com to see a short reel. Uh, we, we're not yet there, uh, and I'm hoping very soon that we're going to have an opportunity to sit down with Chris Colfer, uh, who, who had such a huge impact with his storyline. Uh, but, but in fact, it, it, all of the characters, and, and, and throughout, Ryan Murphy is to be commended, the creator of Glee, for having informed that show with his vision of a world in which there was a, a new uh, sense of awareness uh, that, that certainly didn't exist when I was growing up. I looked at that high school and thought that, you know, that there's a place, even though I can't sing, uh, I really like to be there. Uh, and, and you're right, I think Glee it had a tremendous impact uh, on, on uh, people's understanding of the LGBTQ community because everybody, everybody was represented throughout the that show, and uh, it was a uh, it was a touchstone for our our country. You saw people, who, non uh, members of the community, rooting for relationships mm-hmm. to happen. That, that had that's just uh, again something that that I, I looked at with wonderment to see that happen and to see all these. I went to one of uh, you'll you'll appreciate this. I took. Uh, a group of 11-year-olds to the Glee on tour uh, when the Glee cast was going around the country. It must have been about 10 uh, kids, all in the 10 to 11-year range. And all of them just loved these characters, straight or gay. Uh, it didn't matter. They were. It was all part of their experience of growing up, and they were as excited as they could be to be in the room with these people. And a huge arena, 20,000 people cheering. And that, that had an impact for me, watching it as an adult, seeing these kids and seeing that this is always a part of their consciousness. They don't remember anything other than this. Mm-hmm. That is how the world changes. It changes when you bring that into your living room, when you bring it into your home. And that's what television does. Mm-hmm. If it comes into your home, it's different than film. You have to go somewhere to watch a movie most of the time. Right, right. Another one I want to bring up, and um, I mean, you mentioned the real world, which definitely changed or shaped kind of my perspective and views on on real people out there growing up and tuning into the real uh, the real world. But then, you know, this this thing happened where we uh, went into the lives and the homes of housewives, and then the real housewives franchise became what it became. And then Andy Cohen being the central figure. Of of, you know, producing these that I, I totally feel defined and, and also um, it was like a coming out process for all the straight women who had gay male best friends. Yes, yes. Well, it, it, the, the, the so-called will and grace phenomenon. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it, it, there's no question that that, that was an, another reflection and, as I say, reflects and affects who we are. But there is a phrase in, now in, in the literature and when you're teaching media, uh, people who teach it at a, at a college level will talk about the Will and Grace phenomenon. Because Will and Grace was the first show, it, it's 
started running in 1998, and it lasted long enough to be in syndication. So somewhere while we're having this conversation, somewhere in, in America or around the world, Will and Grace is airing. And once you hit that magic six-year mark, and a show can be on in perpetuity, then it has this ripple effect. There are people who have grown up only knowing the characters from Will and Grace as part of their landscape, part of their background, part of, you know, the, even if the sound is off, they know exactly who they're seeing. And here's a woman with a, a gay male best friend, uh, his best friend, another gay man. We see all of this as part of the uh, leitmotif uh, or, or zeitgeist mm-hmm. of, of our time. And, and that's all since uh, the year 2000, really. It started in 98, but really after the show left the air and went into syndication, the last 10 years, it's had this huge impact. Right, right. A couple things I want to bring up for, um, you know, while I'm discussing with you. Let's turn our attention to like lesbian content. Um, you know, when you, you, you have Eileen Shaken, who did an incredible job with the L Word series, and then, oh, yes. you know, it went as far as it did. I feel like I feel like that put lesbians on the map for sure when it came to television. Um, for some reason, the real L word, though, I think was a little too much. And people didn't like seeing lesbians and women and partying and debauchery and scandals, I guess. <laughs> uh, you know, I, it's, it's interesting. I, I did note that phenomenon that one, one worked uh, better than the other in terms of audience. Uh, but I applauded to uh, the L word and Queer as Folk, both Showtime programs. And Showtime uh, deserves a lot of credit for having done what it did to, to bring these images forward. Again, all of this, is, and, and really one of the things you'll see uh, in Playing Gay, and, and I encourage people to take a look at our, our, our short reel at playinggay.com, you will see that so much of this has happened in this last 10 to 15 years. Uh, it, it was almost as if when we hit the new millennium, we hit a, a new uh, opportunity or a new uh, uh, window for Americans to view the LGBTQ community that they never uh, that didn't exist before. It, 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 something about changing centuries also changed uh, opportunity for for us to be visible. And that, that is a phenomenon. I looked, uh, and I've actually quantified it in the film. So many of these things, almost all of them, with some exceptions, have just come in a rush in the last 10 or 15 years. Now, there is one woman who we cannot fail to mention because she truly uh, changed everything on television, and that's Ellen DeGeneres. Of course. <laughs> I was going to save the best for last and ask you. You can't. I, I, I mean, if, if there is a, I don't want to overstate it, but if there is a Dr. King to this movement, uh, what Ellen did when she came out on, on a series that had been doing very well and the network did not want her to come out, she fought to do it. Uh, 42 million people watched it. Uh, it, it was the cover of Time Magazine, and then do you know what they did? I don't know if, if you remember this, Michelle. I had forgotten it for a while, and I've gone back, and, and, and I'm just horrified in remembering that the, the final year of Ellen 
uh, series, they canceled it a year after she came out because the ratings had declined. Now, you, the immediate sort of assumption is that they declined because people didn't like her as an out lesbian. The truth is, ABC decided that they were going to put, wait for it, a parental warning on the show. Oh, my gosh. They, they actually said, for mature audiences only, this is a sitcom. Nothing had changed. Uh, there, she was still not dating anyone. It was, it, it was astonishing. And if, if you want to drive an audience away, you put uh, something that had been a family show, and you make it a non-family show, and then you say, you see, it didn't work. Uh, and that's, that's really what happened, and that's the story we will tell in Playing Gay, that, that Ellen didn't fail, the network failed uh, Ellen. But Ellen opened the door, and, and you will hear this from the cast and creators of Will and Grace, which came on the, air the next year. They, they absolutely, to a person, will say, we are here, and we made it on the air only because of Ellen. David... That's how it works. Right, right. I'm so glad you brought that up, and that is, I think, a good point to say that's why we need playing gay to to be finalized, and it, it'll be fascinating to go back and look at, you know, into the four decades of LGBT characters or the coming out process and how television helped shape our feelings regarding LGBTQ people. Um, David, thank you so much for joining us here today. Michelle, absolutely my pleasure, and great to have you part of the Progressive Voices family, which I am proud to be a member of as well. And and I hope people will go to playinggay.com and help us out. This is uh, we've got twenty uh, some odd days left to uh, to reach our goal, and we could really use the help at playinggay.com. You got it, and we'll make sure we do our best to put that out there. Again, it's playinggay.com, and David Bender, everybody, uh, don't go away. The Michelle Miao Show continues right after this. You are listening to a rebroadcast of an earlier version of the Michelle Miao Show. You're listening to the Progressive Voices Channel on TuneIn. Please help us grow. Tell your friends to tune in to Progressive Voices. Find out more at ProgressiveVoices.com. The Commonwealth Club is a unique organization that brings together people from a variety of backgrounds to explore important issues as a community. Sooner or later, everyone worth hearing comes to our stage. From Marga Gomez to Richard Chamberlain, from James Hormel to Kate Kendall, leading thinkers, activists, politicians, and artists have come to the Commonwealth Club of California. Ted Olson and David Boyes came here to discuss their winning legal strategy for same-sex marriage. Jason Collins talked about gay athletes. The Sisters of Perpetual Indulgence discussed activism and good works. Actor and director Rob Reiner explained how he got Hollywood behind same-sex marriage. Barney Frank described what it's like to be gay at the highest levels of Washington. From healthcare reform to transgender rights, from immigration to gay-owned businesses, it's all at the Commonwealth Club. And that's still just a portion of the 450 programs we present every single year, with new programming nearly every single day. Be a part of the conversation. Learn more at commonwealthclub.org, download our free app in iTunes, and join us in person the next time you're in San Francisco. The Commonwealth Club of California puts you face-to-face with today's thought leaders. And now, back to the Michelle Miao Show. 
Welcome back. Thanks so much for joining us. I'm Michelle Miao, your host. It is Monday. <laughs> Monday, August 17th. Why do I sound like, you know, I'm so sad about that? <laughs> I guess because it's Monday. It's hard to, you know, it's hard to just get through the day, even though we're we're pretty much there. Jax, our producer, is in studio. Pretty good, uh, pretty good halfway mark here, right? I'd like to say I started my Monday off stuck behind a car that had a yes on Prop 8 sticker. What? Did you throw a banana? I glared at them. You glared. Glared. (laughs) I bet they were like, what? I did turn on my turn signals. Vintage bigotry. (laughs) (laughs) So old. Old. Get with the program. Anyway, let's continue our conversation uh, before the break. The first half hour, we focused a lot on feminism. So I think this uh, second half, it's going to be really cool that we'll continue our discussion. But, you know, talking about um, being gender neutral. I, I mentioned it in the beginning of the show that I identify as nonconforming. And so I'm very excited about our next guest. I mean, I'm so excited. I wish that I had met Nick, you know, back when I was like 19 years old and coming out. Because during that time when I was 19, everything was just so awkward (laughs) and trying to find where I fit in, but especially clothes and shoes that that I liked. So Nick Casey is with us on the phone and he has designed uh, a a really awesome, cool new shoe line that is agender or considered gender neutral. Um, But uh, yeah, let's welcome Nick to the program. Nick, welcome. Hi, thank you. Uh, to be on the show. Thanks for having me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We're super excited. I'm super excited. So you identify as gender fluid, uh, queer, and trans, and you know, kind of. We 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 were talking about identity earlier um, in the show, and so maybe let's start with that. Let's start with you and kind of how you identify and your work within the LGBTQ space. Uh, sure. Um, basically, I I identify pretty much as gender neutral and gender fluid. Uh, I also identify in, I suppose, as a supplement to that as trans. And also, after my trans surgery, like my top surgery, I, I recognized that I didn't want to just give up my my identity as a lesbian because I spent, you know, the majority of my life kind of fighting to find comfort and pride in that. And so I thought that it was, um, it was interesting, you know, after you have transitional surgery that, you know, a friend is being supportive, they want to ask and respect, like, how do you want to identify now, but I think that I I felt a little pressure to go one way at first, and then I realized, Mm. you know what, I feel perfect just the way I am now, and I don't think that that requires me to give up a part of me that I had fought so hard to to be comfortable with, Mm -hmm. you know. Mm-hmm. I totally get it. And I, I might have, you know, just kind of going back, I used the he pronoun, but I should ask you, I, I mean, what are you more comfortable with? You know, it's, it's one of those things where I wish that we just did not require pronouns because I really feel like that has nothing to do with me. And I find it really hard to pick one, you know, mm-hmm. and I don't, and I don't, I'm not a huge fan of they either because I feel like that's kind of confusing. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, I'm comfortable with he, I'm comfortable with she. My only request is nobody call me a lady or a hey girl. <laughs> oh, <yeah. laughs> what about yo bro? 
Yeah, that's totally fine. <laughs> <laughs> well, we'll we'll refer to you as Nick because you're the Nick Casey who uh, has designed these incredible shoes now that I wish I wish I had access to when I was 19 years old, which you know is uh, a few years ago. <laughs> Uh, yeah. You know, now I'm 33. But yeah, like I was telling my producer, Jax, I was super excited that she booked you for this interview because it brought me back to this space, you know, now um, I was coming out and being a non-conforming. And there weren't a lot of options for for us, especially also butch lesbians or, you know, those who like a more masculine look. Um, yeah. So I wonder if you you went through kind of the same experience I did. I mean, I think that my only choice was like Ann Taylor loafers <laughs> at nineteen. <laughs> Bizarre. Yeah, I mean, it, it's it's kind of traumatic when I look back at my youth and how I had such a hard time shopping for you know fashion that I felt was going to identify myself in an authentic way and I think that for so many years I look back and I look at all my photos and I think oh what a lie you know like mm. I was never I could not be authentic because there was nothing out there for me and whether it was you know from not being honest enough with my mom to like let me dress the way I want because that's how I identified versus like fighting with her and saying no I don't want to wear this dress but not being able to articulate why I don't want to wear this dress you know right um and then as I was growing, you know, got older and older and being able to shop for myself, you know, just years of, you know, being rejected or denied or point, pointed towards the women's section because they either didn't have my size or they just immediately looked at me and said, you should, you know, you're in the wrong section. And I'm not giving people the freedom to shop, you know, browse even right. the way they want to, like making certain assumptions based on gender. And I just found it so limiting that I always told myself that, you know, one day I hope somebody will make this change, but if no one does, like I'm going to go and I'm going to do it myself. Man, you're, you're so freaking badass because you did it. And so I wanted, yeah. to, I wanted to ask you, you know, as a, a shoe designer, um, someone who's come up with this line that is gender neutral, I mean, what, what is the difference between, you know, female male shoes and why people feel the need to have I mean, even shoes be considered, you know, binary or something like that? I, I mean, I think that the difference is like what size, but I don't understand why shoe designers think that women always want, you know, the more narrow or pointy toes or something like that. That. So as a shoe designer, you know, kind of what are your thoughts? And when you're designing these uh, gender-neutral shoes, um, what, what's the major difference? Well, I know as a consumer, uh, I, I, I went into this from a very consumer-based um, perspective because for so many years as a consumer, I just was so, I mean, I struggled so much with finding like literally the same brand, the same sort of design, but the female version so that it would be in my size, but then like putting it side by side and noticing how, like what a drastic difference it was between the men's version and the women's. And it was always because, you know, I'm sure you know from experience, when you try to wear a man's shoe, it's usually wider, longer, you know, it exudes this masculinity because like, you know, the, the symbol of like manliness is like you have to have big feet, right? <laughs> yeah. And then, and the opposite for women is like, oh, you're supposed to be like petite and demure and like tiny feet. And so even if it's the design is supposed to be a masculine design or inspired by the men's shoe, 
the, ver- the version of for women somehow will have like a shorter design where the toe area is and like, you know, they move like kind of where the laces start a little bit closer to the front so it just gives the illusion of smaller feet. Mm-hmm. And I hated that because I felt like when I put on the women's shoe, I'm like, I look like I have like baby feet. Yeah. I don't know why it doesn't match my pants or like when I look down, it just looks awful. Um, so when I went into designing, I just really reached deep within myself to think about like, what were all the things that I wish I could have worn? What were all of the details in, in the pair of shoes that I wanted but that nobody ever did? And so basically I took very classic men's designs and I kind of like gave it a modern twist, you know, with some accent colors. And then I changed the proportion to make it a gender neutral fit so that it's, you know, not as wide as a man's, but not as narrow as a woman's. And I kind of just based it off of my own feet because I found that in trying all the different samples from all the different factories that I tested and just from years of buying shoes and trying on shoes, I have pretty average feet. You know, so, so what I, I what are you uh, what what size are you? I and I know the sizing I'm, is is uh, let's talk about sizing really quick. Sure, uh, I'm a women's seven and a half, which is a men's five and a half, uh-huh. six, uh, and and you know you go to any shoe store, the men's usually start at a men's seven. So I just kind of felt very screwed my whole life, where I was always one size too small, right, for any man's shoe. Um, but I have, uh, I believe it's an average women's size foot. Uh, even in all of my, like, Kickstarter, Kickstarter backers and uh, any kind of sales, like, most people who write to me have my size feet, which, which is awesome because uh, I can relate and I can give them pointers and they can give me feedback. Um, but, yeah, as far as sizing, I'm doing European sizing because it's a gender-neutral size. There's no men or women. It's yeah. literally, like, that's 34 to 47. That's exactly what I was alluding to, which, uh, you know, I just think that the way that you're designing and obviously, you know, um, what you're putting forward out there for consumers, I mean, it's changing. Uh, it's, it's, it's changing the way it can change. It can re- revolutionize the way we buy shoes. And it should be this way where we're not always constantly thinking about our sex or gender in order to purchase right. shoes. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I mean, the you know, my m- number one question uh, when designing was just like, why can't a person just look at a pair of shoes or a shirt or anything, really, any kind of fashion, uh, clothing or item, and look at it and be able to relate or feel that it helps represent them or express themselves creatively, like, without any kind of gender limitation, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. you know? If, if if shoes were designed this way to begin with, and uh, I just wonder, I mean, did you always want to be in fashion, or did you know that you were going to end up, you know, designing or doing something in fashion? No. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I, I literally, I, I look back, and I remember being, when I was a kid, I, did, I would draw, I would draw cars, and I would um, draw, you know, models and clothing, mm-hmm. but I always as I grew up and I became, I went into advertising and I became a producer, like there was never the idea of cross, you know, that crossed my mind that I like, Oh, I'm going to go into fashion or, or that, Oh, I'm going to go design cars. You know what I mean? Like, I think those were kind of like my childhood dreams that I just thought like, eh, 
those are just like kid dreams, you know. Mm-hmm. Well, it sounds like uh, you're also working uh, with you know feminine a uh, feminine collection of shoes as well. So it's not even just um, you know masculine shoes, right? Yeah. Uh, so you know the whole idea is that this is supposed to be a gender neutral footwear company, mm-hmm. and uh, and I certainly am not one to just limit myself, you know, because I started with the masculine of sensor collection because that's what I relate to and that's my forte, you know. I knew all the things I wanted and hopefully that it would help other people. But then I also wanted to make sure that I, you know, don't limit my own company and my own vision and so I wanted to do a feminine of sensor collection as well. Um, and, and I've reached out to a lot of people who identify as femme or feminine of sensor and regardless of their gender you know, I wanted to get the feedback from everybody. So I'm going to start uh, research and development very soon. And um, and hopefully, you know, I'll be able to create a high heel collection that is comfortable and that also will fit the same size range. I think it is so, so cool, Nick. I'm looking at your picture right now online on your website, and uh, I think you look um, super cool. And if anything, I mean, I kind of want to look like Nick Casey myself. Uh, just, uh, you know, just a little background and information for those who know your shoes but may not know you. Um, you know, kind of, is there anything that you would like to share with us as far as uh, Nick personally? Um, you know, I think... Uh, I don't know. I'm, I'm kind of, I guess I'm kind of shy about stuff like that. <laughs> <laughs> I was, I was going to go as far as, yeah, let's get to know Nick. So, Nick. Yeah, I mean, feel free to ask me questions. I just, I'm not really very good at this, like, are you, like are that. You, Here, here's who I am. <laughs> are you partnered up? Uh, I, I am seeing someone, yes. Oh, I bet. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> you're good-looking, good-looking guy. Um, and uh, where, where are you, where'd you grow up? Uh, I grew up in New York. Oh. Uh, I was born in Hong Kong, but I grew up in New York and uh, moved to L.A. for college in 1993. And what was what was coming out like? Um, it was obviously, I mean, it's very scary, but I got so, I was so blessed. I was so lucky that uh, I would say that I think 80% of my very close friends Maybe 90% of my very close friends were all kind of like, oh, we already knew, or like, oh, we had an idea. And then when I came out to my mom, uh, she was just like, oh, I have a secret too. And I was like, what? <laughs> <laughs> so like, it, she definitely did not make me feel like, oh, my God, this was such a huge thing. Uh, maybe I, I think at that age I felt kind of like, oh, you're stealing my thunder. But but I think in, the, in hindsight I realized that that was her way of kind of helping me recognize that like it's it's not so scary and that she's totally accepting and she just wants me to be happy and that's really all i ever wanted you know did the secret have anything to do with her sexuality or her her gender or anything no okay no (laughs) i won't pry then it sounds like a family thing yeah 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 yeah. Yeah. okay all right she's trying to help like relate and like you know take some of that heat off me type of thing yeah, yeah, I got gotcha. you. Well, I'm I'm glad that you had you know just the support that you did. My last question for you, I mean, you know, I'll be honest, I get really excited when I see queer people of color or people who represent the LGBTQ community do amazing, exceptional things. And so, as a uh, uh, person of color in our community, uh, you know, uh, kind of 
what are your feelings in terms of the progress that the LGBTQ community as a whole has made? I, I mean, do you, I feel like we need to be more visible. What are your feelings? I agree with you on that. I think that um, part of the, the motivation in, in creating this company and working with all of the, you know, queer uh, colleagues, you know, that I have within the community who are entrepreneurs or who are starting to do their own kind of projects, um, it's really about visibility. And I think that sometimes we get a little complacent because we're like, oh, yeah, we got these rights. Or like, oh, yeah, we finally got this. Or, but we can't stop. Like, we're still we're still fighting. We still have so much to do. And we still need to get our faces out there, get our names out there, and get our, you know, just everything that we're doing. Because, you know, I think we need to, I don't know, I feel like sometimes it's really important to, I think one of the questions I got uh, in, in another interview that I had was like, you know, how do I feel about being out and, and being queer and do I use that as part of the promotion of my company? And I said, absolutely, because I feel like I'm proud of that heritage and I'm proud of being in this community and that we are doing something really powerful and impactful. And, and if it helps you know, somebody out, you know, maybe a teenager so somewhere in the Midwest who is not as exposed to know that we're, there are people that, you know, he or she can relate to that are doing something significant out in our community and helping other people, that, that might inspire them to feel like they're, like they're accepted or that they belong or that there's going to be people who welcome them, you know, and, um, and I think that that's really important. Nick, thank you so much for dropping by and spending some time with us and sharing the work that you do. And uh, I got to get myself a pair of shoes. Thank you. I hope I look forward to meeting you one day. Yeah, you got it. Nick Casey, everyone. So if you're all about, you know, fashion and shoes, that's that's more about style, but style that's not limited by gender or gender expression. You should check out Nick Casey and that's N-I-K-K-A-C-Y dot com. We'll also post that information up on the website. Don't go away. When we come back, Jax and I, well, we close out the show. You'll want to hear, you know, kind of where Jax was at when she was coming out. Who knows what she was wearing? (laughs) Don't go away. Thanks for listening to the Progressive Voices Network, streaming the best in progressive talk 24-7. Keep the progressive conversation going on by joining our community. Each week, we send out an email that covers important things taking place in the Progressive Voices Network and throughout the progressive world. Be the first to know of upcoming shows, schedule changes, exclusive programming, and more. Simply go to ProgressiveVoices.com and sign up for our mailing list. It's that easy. ProgressiveVoices.com. Thanks for listening, and thanks for joining the Progressive Voices community. I think we're ready. We're really doing this. Yeah, I'm ready for our family. So where do we start? (laughs) Starting a family is a team effort, and when life needs a little encouragement, Pacific Fertility Center will be right by your side. As a unified team of the best fertility specialists, guided by the highest ethical standards, Pacific Fertility Center provides patients with compassionate fertility care. Visit PacificFertilityCenter.com. This is a true story about two best friends who fell in love and moved across the country to the city by the bay. After many years of dating, Jen and Jacqueline are now planning their dream wedding. It's a big moment in everyone's life when you say I do, especially when you can make choices for your authentic life 
and your loved ones too. Congratulations, Jen and Jacqueline. Live your authentic life. A special message brought to you by Weatherford BMW. And now, back to the Michelle Meow Show. Welcome back. Thanks so much for joining us here on this Monday, August 17th. I'm Michelle Meow, your host. Jax, our producer, is in studio. And we've kind of, you know, we've had this great Monday in which we had a lengthy discussion about identity and how you can see, even in the LGBTQ community, it's uh, complex. It's also diverse. You can't put anybody in a box. And... In the news, Target, they recognize that. That's right. I can't believe I missed that in Giga News. And there, there was some huge uproar about that. There were some parents who, you know, absolutely did not want their boys to be playing with Barbies or something. That They can't seem to shop for themselves. Never, <laughs> everything's not labeled for, this is a boy toy. <gasps> oh, yeah. Right. You know, hey, newsflash, when I was a kid, I totally told my mom to buy me, you know, the boy toys anyway i only played with legos so <laughs> and isn't that crazy that legos would be considered a boy you know yeah. toy yeah I mean, it, well, I mean it was like legos or barbies like that was like the distinction right right no i i i still have the dolls that my cousins and my aunt would send me for my birthdays um they're collectible items now they're antique dolls scary yeah really scary I yeah. just hate, I've always hated dolls. Yeah. They're like these like, you know, porcelain um, Oh, dolls. I can picture them. Yeah. Looking at me. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Unblinking eyes. Um, but, you know, I, I mean, I also grew up extremely poor, so it wasn't even like I got toys all the time. Um, if anything, I went around, you know, when people threw out spring cleaning, I went around picking up uh, old books. Um, and so lucky me, cause here I am at 33 years old and I read every day and I do a radio program. <laughs> yeah. That's the whole other argument of the, the, what toys kids should even be playing with. Mm -hmm. Right. And then, and then it goes even further, you know, um, clothes. I never, I never understood, you know, why parents feel the need to like dress their babies up in, you know, blue or pink or or girly girly like babies are throwing up in their clothes like every other <laughs> second <laughs> like they care what they look like right now and sh you know and you shouldn't either i i feel like just wrap that thing up you know so that you can protect the just baby from keep it alive keep it warm <laughs> <laughs> feed it give it shelter yeah no and speaking of clothing i mean it was true uh i'll tell a story really quick when i was in like eighth grade or something my mom dropped my sister and i off to the mall and it was like back to school shopping and i wanted to get some new shoes i went to Foot Locker. my sister went to like contempo or miller's outpost or something some store that you have no idea yeah i but, have no yeah. idea what that is yeah <laughs> and um and uh and 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 there was a girl working and she was flirting with some guy and I saw a pair of Nikes, and uh, they had a girl version and a guy version. And I obviously liked the guy version more because it was bulkier, and it was, you know, it just, it was wider. It it, it just looked better because the girl version was all narrow, and I don't know, I think the laces had sparkles on it, and, like, it just it wasn't the one I wanted. So I asked her 
for the male, uh, you know, the boys version of the shoe. And she was like, we don't have it in your size, like without even checking. And I was like, she was like, you have to get it in the girl size. And I was like, I don't want it in the girl size. Can you check just to see if you've got a small size of the boys version? And she absolutely was like, we don't have it. And just walked away and continued flirting with the guy. So when my sister came back, I told her what happened and she demanded to speak with the manager. Yes. She got the girl fired. Oh. We were we were in like seventh grade, eighth grade. Like, I mean, we we're pretty young and I had no idea that, you know, she'd be considered my sister would be considered a hero today. <laughs> she would. Fox yeah. News would hate her. But. Right. Right. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I remember they were like a pair of like basketball shoes. <laughs> what were you like growing up and uh, you know, lesbian? And, and and trying to conform or not conform. I mean, I like when I was really young, I was only dressing in the boys' clothes, only dress going to the boys' section. Like we shopped at Target all the time, mm-hmm. and it was like we would only get clothes for me in the boys' section because that's what I wanted. And then I went to a private middle school and I had to wear a skirt every day. Oh. And I, and then when I got to high school, I was like trying to be more f- quote feminine or girly. Mm-hmm. But I was also, like, an athlete, so I, like, got away with, like, oh, I got practice later. I'm interested in my basketball shorts. <laughs> but, um, and then I got to college, and I was still trying to be, like, kind of girly. And also, I wasn't aware that I was queer yet or gay or whatever. So oh, yeah. Even when I was, like, that little tomboy, I was like, that's just a girl who was a tomboy, but, mm-hmm. you know, still a straight girl. I, I, I get that. I, I definitely was there at about 18, 19 yeah. years old, and I was just coming out. Like, I think I was, I, like, still had, like, a couple, uh, couple a, a couple, I, I guess some skirts. Mm-hmm. I still had some skirts. <laughs> <laughs> I just See, can't. It wasn't until this past year, really, that I started dressing how I want to dress. And what yeah. I like, and uh, you know, I have my denim jackets, and but I have. The thing is, I'm tall, and guys' clothes fit me better, so uh. I kind of get away with it shopping in those sections because it's like, oh yeah, the girls' clothes probably don't even fit her, right? Like this Amazon woman, but well, like, see, by the time I realized that I liked a much more tomboy or boyish look, um, that was what, but night twenty years old, I was in college. And I, w- I was even smaller back then. Like I was definitely a late bloomer. So I was all of like 115 pounds oh, at 5'2". Yeah, I was super small, so I couldn't fit men's clothes. I would shop at the boys' section sometimes, but that was really weird because, you know, the crotch drops. Yeah. And that's uncomfortable. See, I wear girl pants mm-hmm. because of that mm-hmm. crotch drop. And then I couldn't wear like, you know, and I was more into the preppy looks. I couldn't do the, the button downs because the buttons were spaced wider or, or, you know, the distance was, it was spaced out more. And so I have boobs and, and that didn't work out. Mm-hmm. So I went through a very awkward phase of just looking weird. I looked like, I looked like the straight guys who wear like church uh, shoes, black shoes with like jeans that are a little ripped at the bottom because yeah. they've dragged them with like a button down. They go in, you know, the, to the bars on the weekends. The straight guys they have no idea what the city is all about. Yeah. Now I'm just making fun of people. Yeah. <laughs> See, I love it because the queer community, like we're all connected because we have our coming out stories and we've all experienced uh, certain similarities in that. And then, you know, everyone growing up has their awkward phase, but I think queer people, it's just intensified because you don't really know 
what you want to identify as or what you're allowed to identify as. Yeah. So it's just this terrible in between for so long. Yeah. Yeah. And into your like 20s for most people. Well, share your, you know, uncomfortable stories with us uh, because it would be fun to read them. Uh, head to MichelleMeow.com. Let us know. Thanks for listening. You can catch the Michelle Miao Show Monday through Friday, 4 o'clock Pacific Standard Time on the Progressive Voices Network.